Welcome to Food and Loathing, your weekly reminder not to let your boss cancel your trip to Las Vegas this year because you've got a lot of good eating to catch up on. I'm your host, Al Mancini, joined this week by Chef Rick Moonen in the co-host chair. The man putting our voices in your ears is, as always, our producer, Rich Johnson. Yeah, hello. And this is, of course, the first episode of 2022. And honestly, I don't see how that affects anything whatsoever, nope. but people seem real excited about that every time the calendar <laughs> changes. Yay! So, um, yay! It's 2022! Um, we do have a great show for you planned this week, though. You may have seen the news over the holiday that longtime Review Journal food writer Heidi Ranella retired after, I believe it was 22 years with the paper. I had a nice long chat with her about her tenure covering the local dining scene for the paper of record, and we will have that that conversation coming up a bit sh- coming up shortly is what I meant to say there. I don't know, coming up a bit shortly. First, it's been a while since we've all been together. So, gentlemen, how are you? I'm great. Great, great, Wonderful. great. If you're talking to me, Rich. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm as as reasonable as ever. Yeah, I'm yeah. good. I'm just made it through the holidays. Great times. I'm not going to say, you know, I didn't have fun. But I didn't go out busy. as much. I didn't go out as much. Did a lot here in my home, you know. We had a big thing uh, here on Christmas Eve. And, yeah, how's uh, your hand doing, man? Last I saw you, man. it was planted in that fire pit over there. Yeah, man. I'm like, I'm like, uh, what was that guy with the nails? <laughs> Wolverine? That's it, a Wolverine. <laughs> your Wolverine. <laughs> suck, burns. They just suck them back into I, my body. I literally thought we were going to have to pry your flaming wreckage from that no, fire no, no, pit. Because no, 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 no. you almost face planted in that. And what this makes me know or realize, Rich, is that I don't invite Al as regularly as I normally I see. Because Al, he would know that if it's a good party, I dive into the fire. Uh, you know, it was a good party. It was a good party. Yeah. All <laughs> Christmas Eve, Rick had a bunch of people over and um, made paella for everybody. There, yeah. I did put one photo up on social media. I didn't yeah. want to invade your privacy too much with too many pictures. But um, we have a picture of you over there making a great yeah. paella, which was awesome. You're not the uh, secret love child of G. Gordon Liddy. No, the, no, the, no. Uh, but afterwards, we have, we have to <laughs> sit, ar- sit around and you know burn wood and hang out. And I'm trying to throw a log in, and everybody circled in close. So I couldn't get in, and I tripped, and I, oh. I, hit, I hit my hand on the side, which is made out of copper and the whole thing. So I said, ah, doesn't matter. Burn my hand. Big deal. Yeah. Hey, ah, look, yeah. it didn't stop the party, man. <laughs> Cop- <laughs> copper being an excellent heat conductor. Yes, it is. I <laughs> Thank God. The large quantities of whiskey that I saw being poured that night uh, had something to do with how that didn't uh, hurt you. I don't know. Yeah, who do I have to blame for that? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, Sue actually <laughs> said she shot with you right before you took a uh, dive into the fire pit. She was feeling a little guilty she came in the kids he goes you want to do a shot <laughs> sure <laughs> let's do something good so we did a nice little shot i forget what it was eagle rare i think and then i and this happened shortly after she said i'm irresponsible for that i'm like really yeah <laughs> it was to blame. she's the troublemaker man everybody thinks like all the trouble i got into in this town over these years like she was an innocent bystander absolutely not she's the devil on the shoulder and the best devil that i could ever have with me for such we love sue um, Rich, you, what have you been up to? Actually, I should also mention, I've got a few oh, things. Yeah, we'll we get to did my some soon, great but... stuff together. Thank you for the invitation to go uh, draft in your uh, greatness at uh, Carver Steak. Carver Steak. We went to a little opening party on the 29th. They opened to the public on the 30th of December. I was surprised they didn't see you over there because um, this is interesting, Carver backstory. I was at uh, Rick's party Christmas Eve, and I bumped into our friend Steve Geddes, Mm -hmm. who is much 
you're much closer to him and his wife, Lindsay, than I am, but I've known them both for years. And I mean, Steve is just a renaissance man, really, Ugh. when it comes to food. We're going to have him on this show one day to talk about the um, kitchen he used to run in a strip club here in Las Vegas. It was one of the best kitchens ever. <laughs> He's but... one of those guys, if he woke up t uh, tomorrow morning and said, you know what, I'm tired of being... Uh, the master sommelier. I think I'll be a chef now. And that's what he did. He and did. The yeah. next day he'll wake up. I'm tired of being a chef. I think I'll be a brain surgeon. He'll be, it'll yeah. be a brain surgeon. The guy's just um, Yeah, like an accomplished butcher, an accomplished chef. And yeah. we're talking about Ariol hey. and, you know, Charlie Palmer. And, and um, he and his wife, I believe, at least at one point, the only husband, wife, master sommeliers yeah. in the court of master sommeliers. Well, first of all, he was the youngest at one point, the youngest sommelier to get a master sommelier, uh, you know, level. Wow. And uh, he was then, you know, subsequently, he, someone younger than he, well, he was, got the title, someone he trained, someone yeah. that he mentored. Right, so you he know. had helped some. Yeah, he doesn't care. Trade. He doesn't right. he, 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 <laughs> His MS, you know, master sommelier, he threw it somewhere in the corner probably. He's working on something else. Yeah. You know, so, and that's why he's my brain trust. You know, he's my buddy, man. We hang out. We I learned so much together with, Within, we just give to each other. It's a great, um, it's a great. He, <laughs> no, he, he's a great guy, and I've yeah. known him for decades at this point. But so I show up, and he and his wife are here, and they're having a good time at the party. And he, we're talking about catching up, what we're all doing. And he tells me that they had been brought on to consult for Carver Steak. So that right there is really interesting to me because I mean that that's already an all-star team over at Carver La Steak. La Francone. Yeah, Francesco LaFranconi is over there. He's part of the group. Um, you know, a lot of friends of mine over the years. Of course, Daniel Antaveros. Scott Shady's. From Scott Shady and from Bouchon and, you know, all over the place. So It's like the best parts. You're putting it together. How could the car not be amazing, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Said uh, Mr. Edsel. We, we certainly hope. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. So, um, so we, we spoke to him, and I'm going to get to that cut in a second. But first, we, we got to the party. Rich, what did you think of Carver? First, I, You know, I love the room. I can't really judge the food because it was all sort of past hors d'oeuvres and, and a seafood area and a Fred Flintstone style uh, rib uh, roast uh, carving area. Oh, yeah, area, the tomahawks which, were just yeah. out there carving on mess. Yeah, just a few sample bites, but the sample bites were so good, they discouraged me from making my own roast on Christmas Day. I said, no, we're just going to have a steak. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I can't recreate this, and I'm not even going to try. The big uh, on caviar, too. Caviar and steakhouses, huge. Yeah, everybody's yeah. getting into caviar yeah. these days, which yeah. is awesome, and I think, I don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that it's just easier to get quality American farm-raised stuff these days, or I'm not sure sure but I, you know, oh that could be a whole discussion me and you okay no i got a long caviar. deep uh, conversation so yeah. i i have to say i did admire the cocktail program at uh, Carver Steak. Yeah, because they taste better than when you just go to your local <laughs> guy and ask yeah. him to make you a Ooh, car He couldn't get the word out. Yeah, I know. They, you know, they from, were certain, From a mixologist. It, it really sucks when you have to admit that good people doing good stuff is better than your average dickhead in your corner bar. Yeah, yeah. By the way, a lot of my friends are great average dickheads uh, in the corner bar, and they're all awesome. Shout out to all, all of them, Al. All dickhead respect. Uh, they were serving up old fashions and Singapore slings. Did I tell you my Singapore sling story? Well, I'm going to do it again. Oh, boy. Tell me your Singapore sling story. Uh, 2009, I'm on the White House beat with uh, President Obama, and we're doing an Asian tour, and we go to Singapore, and I have sort of half a day off because of the time difference, and I said, well, I'm going to go to Raffles Hotel, the old colonial joint in Singapore where they invented the Singapore sling Perfect. on a Sunday. I thought, I'm going to have that. I've never had one. Let's I, see what I it's would, like I would do that. at the home office. Absolutely. And I went there with 800 other tourists, <laughs> and it was just fuck awful. 
it was coming out of a slushy machine. There was so the demand oh, yeah. was so heavy oh, that yeah. they just had to make it, remake it forever. And I've been off Singapore slings. I don't I have not had one. <laughs> Bellini's then, on a gun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but then, we invented it. Uh, uh, oh, we know who says that. Monica, <laughs> one of the bartenders there, said, "No, try this one," and I did. And it was so nice. No, we're back sweet. at Carver. Carver steak. Nice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sweet, sour, tart, citrusy, all that stuff in perfect balance. And they was coming out of their little tap, which oh. is, and they, they would finish it with the little garnishes. So I may have a Singapore sling again before I die. But if I do, it'll be at Only the bar Carver steak. It has to be from a program. A program, absolutely. A program only. Somebody knows what they're doing. I was kind of surprised at how small the main room is there. There's a bunch of little Warrens, a couple of couple booths of bars. or two here and there. The the main bar is sort of the centerpiece. It must be a pillar in the entire building because there's you either go left or right around the thing, Yeah, and it's huge. Well, I think that people are getting more into having a bit, even even when you have a massive room, you want to separate yeah. it out and yeah. have a little intimacy. Little Warrens. Barry's is That's what I was just going to say Barry's. They, they took uh, inspiration from Barry's, admittedly. Yeah. You know, they say, yeah, we uh, we looked at Barry's Prime. You know, little patio there's area. There's a lot of connection was, there with Barry. Yeah. You know. The patio area looked, looked to be great. And as you pointed out, they're growing herbs to, so you don't have to look at Ross dressed Ross for less dressed across up. the street <laughs> so much. I know. It's such a shame because, you know, you think the Las Vegas Boulevard view is going to be amazing. And Resorts World has so many great um great patios for the restaurants that look out onto that view and i love it when i go out and i see the pepper mill that's fantastic but when i see ross dressed for less or Denny's, <laughs> Denny's. i'm like yeah. ah shit that kind of dials it down and ruining it for me right, but i mean right. you know like i'm one of those guys that used to bitch yeah. that there was an olive garden in times square you know when oh I god in New York. yeah so yeah. Um, so let's get to a little bit about um, what they're doing there and some of the conversations we had. I spoke to Daniel Ontiveros briefly, and he told me what, what he was up to with the food program. So here's what Daniel had to say. How does it feel to finally be open? It feels great, man. I can't tell you the energy, the vibe. It's, uh, it's been a long-awaited uh, journey to get to this point. Um, we're fortunate enough to have a great staff. Um, the team is super happy and pumped, man. It's, it's great, you know. What's interesting about this place is, you know, it's it's going to be such a party spot, and we know the people who are involved, and we know it's going to be crazy, and then there are articles about the Rolexes and things like that. But, man, the food is what I'm interested in, and knowing that you're in the kitchen makes me know that this is a place people will be able to come for food. Can you tell those who are more concerned with the food than the party what you have planned? So that's one thing, you know, that it separates us from uh, other steakhouses. We do have the classic steakhouse favorites, but a lot of the presentation that we're going to be executing is uh, slightly different um, on a higher level. Um, so I think that's going to be the biggest draw is that you're going to order things that are familiar to you, but presented in a more upscale, fine dining element. Um, but yeah, that's what we look forward to serving our guests. And, and you know, what's the signature item going to be? Uh, the signature item is, uh, there's a couple on there. It's going to be one is the hamachi. The, the second one is going to be the, uh, the lobster on fruit, uh, which, you know, will debut tomorrow. So, <laughs> um, but, but not to mention that we have three different types of wagyu, uh, Japanese, Australian, and uh, domestic. 
So we'll be able to offer that. We have dry age and wet age options available as well. Well, I'm excited about it. I know you have a party to get back to. Thanks for your time. I'll get in after the new year and once things calm down. Yeah, for sure. Thank you, Alan. Always a pleasure, man. And yes, Rich, I did say food program. Otherwise known as food. I don't know. <laughs> Just adding program yeah. to everything. And I grabbed um, Mr. Steve Geddes for a moment and asked him what he was, what he and Lindsay were doing with the wine. This place is just turning into kind of an all-star team. Well, it wasn't. It is an all-star team, and that's why my wife Lindsay and I decided that when we had the opportunity to jump on board and help out with the wine program. So, both Lindsay and myself uh, curated, collaborated. And uh, set the wine list up. So we're here to set up set up the wine program. So it's pretty exciting. Well, you know, I'm not a big wine guy. Even in the days I did drink a lot, I was always more the Jägermeister than the wine guy. But for my for my listeners who are big into wine, what are going to be the things they should be looking for on your wine list here? Well, definitely the wine list is going to be a blend of both uh, the real cool stuff, because my wife is a lot cooler than I am. <laughs> so there's some really, really interesting from natural wine producers to really kind of cutting-edge, upcoming, modern little, you know, small farmer-style producers, all the way up to the incredible epic classics from around the world. Things like the First Gross of Bordeaux or DRCs or Grange or, you know, uh, Vegas Cecilia. But just everything from the cool stuff to the classic stuff. So it should be a really fun mix. Cool, man. Well, it's great to bump into you, and um, I look forward to coming back when I can sit down and enjoy a full meal. Absolutely. Good to see you, Al. Okay, so that's Carver. Have you been to Carver yet, Rick? I have not. I have not been to Carver yet, which is, you know, Steve Geddes is a good friend of mine, set up the wine program. If you hear me, <laughs> you're on the list. Well, I'm going to try to, hopefully within the next few days, maybe do, record a little um, segment over there with um, with Daniel and maybe Nicole Brisson from next door. Oh, yeah. Teasing that. Maybe if I put it out in the universe, it'll come together. Yeah. So um, I want to go. Stay go. Soon. So if we do that, you come over and um, help us record that segment as well. Yeah. And you'll get to see the room and maybe they'll cook for you the perks Ooh. the perks of hanging out with rick moon and they cook <laughs> i can get into places they don't always cook for me you know during the off hours but rick's got a bit more pull uh rich any other places that you've eaten over the holiday that even, even for me it was slow on the holidays it was it was takeout chinese the day after christmas and other than carver steak that's that's been it but i will brag on a couple of things uh we made at home christmas eve Wife was Polish, who's a lapsed Catholic, which means no no meat on Christmas Eve. You got to have the fish. Mm-hmm. I have found one of the nice places to find a great, thick, good, fresh tuna steak. Mm-hmm. Costco. Yep, they do very nice. We got a couple of those, and and you know we Costco's and the cats fed the fade. Remind me of a religious cult, man. They're always like trying to oh. justify why they're members. <laughs> I will tell you the Costco story I have a lot being a news reporter someday when I was in Seattle and. Another day. Christmas Day, a little surf and turf, a little filet, and a huge pile of Dungeness crab. This is the season for Dungeness crab. They had them fresh. Uh, I spent about an hour and a half picking two huge Dungeness crabs, which is something I always volunteered to do in my youth in, in, in the family back in Oregon. I just had a great time doing I grew that. up picking blue crab. That's a whole... So you no, guys no. just look like wussies with your big old dungeons. Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of them blue up. crab's a skill. Yeah. I, I, like, I can't it pick it. It takes 12 sore. beers to do a pound of oh, blue yeah. crab. That's you lose <laughs> weight on the blue crabs because you work yeah. more than you eat. And I, can't, beer, I, you know, I can't pick blue crab for eating later. I have to do it as you go uh, with the like, big you know butcher paper and the things. Open pistachio nuts. Peel eggs. It's all in the same category of bullshit. Dungeon. I'll do 
two, three crabs to have that night because yeah. I know it's it's accumulated. Dungeons crabs delicious. Uh, it's some some sparkling rosé that went down way too easy. I'm not usually a rosé guy, but God, that was so good, and I don't remember the name of it. And here's my 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 big brag, humble brag, is uh, uh, just some stuff around the freezer. A little red sauce, hot Italian pork sausage, can of tomatoes, can of tomato paste, salt, pepper, Italian seasoning, and the wild card, onion soup style caramelized onions. And yes, I invested a good three hours. Four baseball-sized onions in the La Crusade, big one, low, maybe one, two on the thing. Every 15 minutes, I'd set the clock. The alarm would go off, stir them, set the thing again. You know, you're about an hour into that, and you think, this is never going to work. i got to crank it up. But no, important pro tip, Rick, yep. let it go. Be patient. Patience. And after about two, three hours, you'll start to see little brown flecks. And after three-plus, you will have that beautiful brown, about a quarter of what they were at one time, onions and that made that sauce so nice and sweet do you put the the bones in there while you're doing that because i know like yeah that's um, the gravy that's why they call it gravy well yeah. this is separate i, I did the onions you, first you did but you had you had bones in there i did not this time i okay. didn't have any bones around but, but yeah bones, i would I oh yeah no bones it's I just sauce it's just sauce. yeah oh, great. okay yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. well i wanted a meaty sauce but that was my uh uh, that was my big holiday treat was that yeah, that sauce. That's my mother's thing. She used to do that. Yeah. There was always that one big cast iron pot on the stove and something going on. Yeah. yeah. I've done the thing where you've got pork and you got beef and you got the bones mm-hmm. and then the meat is sort of pulled off and it's served separate because yep. you've got that deep yeah. meaty Make red sauce. If you want add, yeah. add dairy product to it, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Uh, you never, he never invites I, me you, over. You dragged us out. Huh? I know, man. You really did, Rich. You, yeah. took, you pulled us right into that pot. I <laughs> right. like that. You need yeah. a cigarette now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm hungry now. So uh, I should mention a couple more holiday meals I had with some restaurant friends of ours. We did um, Chinese food for Christmas. Yeah. I know Sue and I had Christmas dinner with um, Rob from Thrillist and his wife, Mary. I don't know if you know those, those guys, but they're awesome. And we went to Chinglish in Boca Park. And I just really feel like whether you're Jewish or not, like, like if you have ever lived in New York, Christmas and Chinese food yeah. go together. Yeah. Right. And um doing it at a restaurant that is has a sister kosher restaurant definitely, you know, brings up that New York. There's yeah. a big connection. I always Christmas. do. I mean, I ended up going to Honey Pig with the group because I love bringing a large group of people, you know, because it's just a, it's an eat a thon, you know. It's a yeah. garbage can lid with a fire under it. I have to go there with delicious you. Delicious stuff. <laughs> yeah, we I, have to. I go. haven't been there, I think, for like 10 years. Oh, it's just so. so good. It's I'll, I'll go there anytime with you. I really enjoy the experience there. It's um, good good to bring a group, you know, just doing shots of uh, soju and, uh, and yeah. drinking a height or some kind of beer, you know, kase. It, it, it's just interactive, and that's what's fun about it. I also did a tremendous um, New Year's Eve meal at Valencian Gold. They did, I think, seven courses, but of course he threw out some extras. And man, I mean, seriously, if you only know Valencian Gold from when it was sort of that um, grab-and-go paella concept, mm-hmm. you need to go back and see what he's doing in there, man. He's doing some really, really high-quality dishes, and we had an amazing New Year's Eve dinner there. Mm-hmm. Then the next morning, we jumped in the car with the dog. We went up to Mount Charleston, posted some photos of that. I think a lot of people are still amazed that um, yeah, the lodge burned down, but the cabins are still there that were attached to the lodge. I miss the lodge. I, I do <laughs> miss the lodge. Um, the cabins were great, though, and I would yeah. remind people that the cabins are up there. Yeah. And it's a lot of fun. Found out my dog hates snow. 
Um, he like gets he acts like a real prisp when he has to walk in snow. He's gonna get cold, and he's all like, "What am I gonna do?" So um, Ziggy's a bit of a priss, uh, but man, I saw icicles like like you know like yeah. two foot long icicles like that was weird. Yeah. Um, and I'm good for that winter. You give me about 20, 24 hours of it winter, and then I'm good for another five years. I don't need to go see yeah. winter if again. You dress right, man. It's so much fun. You know, I, we went up there too. We took the dogs and we went sledding. You know, you go, yeah. have you been up tubing up there? Have you ever gone tubing? No, because oh. that, that, that is like, like the lady, lazy man, yeah, non-athletic bastard thing to do. I've done it. I just yeah. sit my fat ass on a tube and slide down a Let hill. Gravity do its wonder. Yeah, I got a tube too. We should do. It. I, don't know. I like yeah. the idea. We should right. go up and do some tubing. Anyway, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Heidi Napranella has re- retired from the Las Vegas Review Journal after twenty-two years um you know i i worked with her there for nearly five it was great and um you know i i she was always so welcoming of me over there and you know i will say this is this is an interesting thing because before you work for a newspaper it's always so easy to look at how the people who are working there and go if i worked over there i'd do it differently. Yeah, 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 yeah. oh yeah yeah I, if i was over there i yeah, would yeah. write things differently yeah, then, you know and I, I was one of those smart asses I'll, I'll be the first to admit and then you get um you get hired at that paper and you're like holy shit this is a completely different game and you have like even i always had respect for heidi but i had much more mad respect after i tried to <laughs> to work in the same circumstances at the paper of record. This is Food and Loathing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Wow, this is um, this is such a, a weird thing. I'm, I'm here really here in your house, yep. Heidi, yep. and only the second time I've ever been here. That's we worked right. together for almost five years, yeah. and um, the article just came out yesterday, I guess, announcing to to the world that that you have retired mm-hmm. from writing about food here in Las Vegas. I so, have. How many years? Uh, I've here at the RJ more than twenty two years, but I did it for. Um, Kind of probably 15 years off and on when I lived in Florida. Um, I was an editor off and on, and I also did anonymous restaurant reporting So for the newspaper. But okay. Yeah, yeah. What was the paper in Florida? The Fort Myers News Press. Fort Myers News Press. Yeah. I'll look for that next time I'm done visiting yeah. my parents yeah. in Fort Myers it's, area. It's uh, gotten a lot smaller than it used to be, I'll tell you that. Um, so you clearly you were a journalist first yes. before you came to food writing. Yeah. But I always had um, an interest in food. I have a... My parents were always really, really into food. Um, 
I still make my mother's recipe for egg rolls that she used to make in the 60s. She and my aunt would make egg rolls. And not being Asian, it was kind of unusual. Um, and just things like that. I mean, they really, they traveled a lot and they had very adventurous palates. And that sort of, you know, translated to my sisters and me, especially my older sister and me. Wow. So you came, you came to Las Vegas in what year now? 99. 1999. So yeah. you're two years before I came out here. By mm-hmm. the time I came here, you were very, you were the established food writer for the paper of record. Really? I, I, okay. I mean, that's, at least that's how I remember you. Were you sharing those duties with anybody at the RJ now, when you started? I started as a general assignment feature writer, but then um, right after I started, I heard somebody, I overheard somebody say that they were looking for a restaurant critic. And I was like, well, I did this in Florida for you know all these years, and I had clips and everything. And they were like, really? So I remember going to lunch with Tom Mitchell and Frank Furtado and Sherman Friedrich at the Las Vegas Country Club. And um, we got, you know, basically they laid it all out. And I said, yeah, I can do this. I've, I've got experience doing this for years and years. And um, then they got into a big argument about, you know, everything. And I just left the table. <laughs> I was like, see ya. But um, anyhow, so the, and then, yeah, it's, the rest is history, as they say. Yeah. Well, you know, you touch on that of the people who were running the paper then. How many owners have you been through at the RJ? Owners, not too many. I guess it was Don Ray when I first started and then Stevens pretty quickly after that. And then it was Stevens until, um, I guess, Gatehouse. Yeah. And then now, um, I'm not sure the name of the company now, but um, so that's not too many, okay. but a lot of different editors. A lot of different editors. Yeah. How- but I was used to that. Yeah. Because my work for Gannett Paper in Florida, and Gannett has a tendency to change editors like every two years. So. Right. So it's interesting. We talk, and I joked for everybody out there listening. Um, I joked when I came here that I, that I did go and I looked at a, the first quote that Heidi ever said about me, um, <laughs> which was in the New York Times. It's my brother had it framed, that article framed for me, and your Such comment a, a small, you know, venue. I mean, just you know, very. Obscure. Yeah, just this little paper <laughs> yeah. called the New yeah. York Times, yeah. and it was about myself and the other co-authors of my book, but you were speaking specifically of me, and you said, <laughs> it's kind of hard to be an anonymous critic when your entire appearance is based on the opposite, or something like something that, Something like right? that, yeah. So you were, you were kind yeah. of taking a slam at the, the way that I looked, which was <laughs> a very, very fair slam, and I think, and the reason I bring it up is, that's worth getting into here, I think, because... You were always an anonymous critic in a right. town that did not have anonymous critics. Right, right. You had that very old school idea that yeah. nobody should know who a food writer is. You yeah. should be able to go in, get the same treatment as everybody right. else. Um, and that was a, certainly a fair slam to take of me because I was never <laughs> trying to be an anonymous critic. I came right. to Las Vegas yeah. to interview rock stars and rock bands and work red carpets. And people knowing me was very important to who I was. And so, it took me a while to figure out that difference because, I mean, like Norm and, and um, Doug Elfman after him with his hats and everything, I realized that people in those positions have to have something that makes them recognizable. And so you needed to. But I was just the opposite. I wanted to you know, kind of blend into the woodwork. I just want to be the little quiet mouse in the woodwork. Yeah, and very few people do it that way. And, you know, there was, and I read it when I first started writing restaurant reviews, I went, there's there's actually a society of restaurant critics or is there some, a, some professional there, organization. Yeah, maybe there used to be. Yeah. And there's a lot of rules. Number one, which is that you should be anonymous. Another one, <laughs> that you should give a couple of chances to each restaurant Uh, and I always felt that you you definitely took your time to review restaurants you made sure you had time to go back to see what they were all about Um, and nobody else in this town that I've 
in my 20 years here, I don't remember any truly anonymous restaurant critics. No. Um, you were you were pretty much it. Yeah, I was pretty much it. Um, you know, everybody has their own reasons for doing what they're doing. But I, you know, I came strictly from a journalism background. I mean, I went to journalism school and I I came up in the, on the print side and that was just, you know, we didn't mingle with advertisers. We didn't mingle with the people that worked in advertising. I mean, we didn't um, – ha- we weren't basically allowed to make friends, you know, in the industry or anything. I mean, I remember Andre Rocha's um, ex-wife, um, Mary Jane Jarvis, and, you know, I really liked her, and we got along so well, and she was always trying to, you know, get me to go to yoga with her and everything, and I really wanted to, but back then that was so frowned upon. You know, you just were not – if somebody was a possible source, you did not make friends with them. Yeah. Now, see, that's what I find interesting, though, because I, I think to be a critic, mm-hmm. being anonymous is incredibly important. Being able to enjoy the meal the way that the average reader enjoys it, super right. important. Right. However, I think to be a journalist, having sources is very important. I know. I know. It, it's always – it's been a double-edged sword. It really is. Yeah. So – and that's where I always felt that my ability to go out there, to meet people, to hang out with them, to get drunk with them, yeah. to do whatever other bad habits that yes. they had, to yes. hit the strip clubs with yes. them. That was how I got a lot of news. Right. 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 Oh, and yeah. Definitely. So I was always very proud. From And again, I was working for the Alternative Weeklies. Right. right? And right. I worked for all the Alt Weeklies, not the Paper <laughs> of Record. You're out there with the Paper of Record. Yeah, it's a very yeah. different situation. But I felt that I could never have done your job yeah. and then still gotten the kind of scoops that I was getting off for the Alt Weeklies. And I do recognize that. Um, I totally recognize that. And that's one one reason they, when they brought you on, they wanted that, you know, somebody who was out there more. And, and it was just – after so many years of, and so many years of people pounding it into me not to be like that, it was very hard for me to try to make change like that, and I really never, never did. Yeah. Well, I, I do think that the first few years that you and I worked together, I thought it was a great way to divide up the labor. Me too. Right? I thought it was great. And I came on, and I had never wanted to be a critic. I mean, you know, that that was my first fair, my first foray into food writing mm-hmm. because my job as a strip club reviewer had gone away <laughs> and City Life needed, they said, hey, we like the way you write reviews. Come over here and write reviews <laughs> for us great. and write about it. restaurants, right? So, um, so you know, I when I went over to Vegas 7, I said, mm-hmm. I don't want to write reviews. They yeah. said, that's fine. We have Max Jacobson to write reviews. Yeah. And then Max was injured and I got stuck into it again. Yeah. So when I went to the RJ, I was like, wait, Heidi's going to write the reviews. Yeah. And, and, yeah. But, you know, you were always so great. And if I haven't thanked you in public, at least, you know, you were so gracious in welcoming oh. me to that paper and, and no, letting this little been... snot-nosed kid come <laughs> in. With I think of you as my little brother. No, you've always been so gracious to me. Um, I remember when um, not long after my daughter was killed, um, John Curtis took a shot at me about something, as John Curtis has repeatedly taken shots at me over the years from the very early days. And you uh, commented, whatever the forum was, you commented, hey, take it easy. You know, her daughter just died. And I thought that was the sweetest thing. And I have never forgotten that. Never forgotten that. um, You know, I've never believed that we should be enemies with people in this industry to begin with. And um, certainly just being a human being is something that I've kind of try to at least say that I could be that um, <laughs> I kind of totally person. I totally agree with that, yeah. Um, uh, so, so we worked there together for a while. We, we mixed things up. But I was really only there for four and a half years. Mm-hmm. And you were there for a very, very long time. Yeah. You have seen this. Um, I mean, I saw a lot of things change during the time that I was there. But yeah. the industry itself. I, yeah. I'm not an old school newspaper person. Right. I came up through law school and then radio and then network radio right. and then writing locally kind of for fun. And broadcasting is so different than print. It, it is very yeah, different. So and different. Again, talk about a look. Yeah. It's much more important in broadcasting than right. it is in print. Right. Um, you know, you want people 
people to stop and see you when they're flipping through the channels, right? right? So, right. so this stupid thing that I've got going on that <laughs> no, I can't get great. rid it's of great. after all these years <laughs> is still there. But um, you've seen this city change. Now, Bellagio was already going strong or it had just launched when you came it had to just launched yeah i think a couple months because i had come to my husband moved out here almost two years before our daughters and i did because you know we had to go back and sell the house in florida and just kind of get everything settled and he got a job offer out here and, and so we moved him out here in 97 and so we would come out and visit him and i think i was out here right around the time bellagio opened on a visit but I didn't move here until um, it was already open when I, when I moved here, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, most people view that as a turning point for dining yeah. in Las Vegas. Yeah. As somebody who was just, you know, kind of new to Las Vegas, yeah. did you see that as a turning point or was that just established in the Las Vegas that you came to know? I think it was established. Um, I wasn't around in 92, obviously, when Wolfgang Puck opened Spago, but I think that really was the turning point. And then I think everything kind of built on that. I think once people realized that, hey, this could work, um, you know, and I think Steve Lynn even started doing that. If you think about it, I don't know if you remember much about the early days in the Mirage, but when he had Alex Strada's Renoir, and there were a couple other places, I can't remember offhand, but I remember Renoir very clearly. That was, you know, that was kind of like the follow-up act, Dispago, and, you know, okay, we're going to continue this and we're going to put fine art in, in the restaurants. We're going to put fine chefs in the restaurants and people will appreciate it, which they did. Yeah, they definitely did. Yet it was still very much um, restricted to the casinos, right? Now, what was dining like off the strip when you started writing about it? Because, And then how much of your job originally was to report on the strip and how much about the neighborhoods? Um, they never really set any kind of parameters. Um that was one thing that was good about my my job when I became a critic. They, um, the big argument the editors had that day was about. I think Sherm wanted me to be able to go back more than once, and I think Mitch didn't want that on his budget. The you know, but yeah, the yeah. expense of that. And Frank and they and they wanted me to be a full time critic, and Frank didn't want me to be a full time critic. So this, you know, was one of these big balancing acts. But they never restricted anything in terms of who I should cover. Now I will say. Mitch was not crazy about me covering these ultra high end ones. Um, I don't think I have ever gone to the to the real Joel Robichon because he wouldn't he, he didn't want to pay for that. Well, you know that was my slam back at you in the New York Times. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> I forgot that. I guess yeah. I was like, well, she's at the paper of record, and I don't see her covering these giant restaurants that are opening. I know because so. <laughs> I, I didn't want to pay for it. I mean, that was the bottom line. Yeah. Um, so there are a couple places that I never did get to, but. Um, cause I wouldn't take freebies. I mean, they would have been happy to have me in for free, but I wouldn't accept that. Right. And then the paper didn't want to pay for it. So I was kind of stuck in the middle cause I couldn't afford it. And yeah, that's another thing people also realize is that, and, and the whole time that I was at Las Vegas city life, I never, um, I'm sorry. Do you want me to yell at him? Oh no, I'm not worried about that. Dogs or whoever, whatever's going on in the background. That's all good. That's all part of the fun of this <laughs> podcast. Um, but yeah, I never, I never reviewed freebies when yeah. I was with City Life. Yeah. And at the time, chefs always wanted to send things out because they did know me and I was right. writing about news. And I, I would get around that by saying to them, anything you send me for free is not going in the article. Oh, that's so, great. That's great. Right? And, um, and I stuck to that very strongly. But of course, you being much more straightforward traditionalist, yeah. you were not going to accept freebies. And I think that there a lot of people think that all critics are just in yeah. it for the free food. Oh, yeah, right? definitely. And definitely. It's more that you're in it for the food that your editor is willing to pay. Yeah. 
You're doing absolutely. it at most of the That's what it comes papers. down to, yeah. Absolutely. In the old days. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I don't know how much that that holds true anymore, but I don't know how much there are still critics anymore. Um, you know, critics of every kind, at least at like legacy newspapers, have certainly died out. Um, you know, we everything's about metrics these days, and our metrics for, for all of our critics, the theater, music, everybody, you know, right across the, the board, movies – we're really low. Uh, people are no longer interested in reading reviews. I guess it's the Yelp era. Everybody wants to write their own review and do their own review, and that's you know that's fine. Things change, and that's just the way it is. We also have a lot less respect for expertise as a society, and all you have <laughs> to do is— I think you is, might have a point there, yeah. I mean, just look at the arguments that are going on about much more serious yeah. things than where you eat today. Oh, yeah, yeah, and nobody exactly. wants to trust that a scientist or a doctor knows more than what they can find. So That's why a, would they believe really that point. you know more about food? That's right? a really good point. It is. That's a really good point. So, yeah, and I, I think that's sad because yeah. I think that there is a certain – there's a certain level of expertise that just comes from going to a lot of restaurants, but also in writing about it and trying to be responsible when you yeah. write about it. I always felt that I had to study and learn about everything. Any kind of anything new came out, you know, any kind of new anything except, of course, kale, which I did try but <laughs> <laughs> but didn't, didn't get very far with. But I would always feel like I had to study it. And and try it and learn about it and and sometimes you know try to prepare it myself if I could. Um, that's one thing about retirement. It's, it's I saw something the other day about some new trend and I was like, God, I don't have to learn about that. You know, <laughs> it's, it's kind of a relief after all these years. Yeah. How did you How did you ever feel about? And I'll give you the lead into. Uh, how did you feel about writing bad reviews? Is the question that I'm going to write. And the part of the thing is Rick Moon and I prior to the the holiday break, we were talking about that review of the Michelin starred restaurant that was the worst ever. Yeah, yeah, that viral. Was, that was hilarious. And I've, I, I loved that. I thought she came off as sort of a hillbilly who like comes out <laughs> of the Museum of Modern Art and says my kid could have done that. Yeah, you know? yeah, but, yeah. But whatever. But one of the things that I said is. Whether you like her writing or not, and you know, good for her, she got a lot of hits, yeah. and, she, and our, our bosses would have loved it. It if was we had entertaining. Done that. It, it was entertaining. But the one thing I said to Rick is, it's fun to write a bad review. It's oh yeah, a lot of yeah. fun. Yeah. But I never enjoyed it, and I never no. trusted people who seemed to really enjoy writing bad it's reviews. It's easy to write a bad review. It's easy to take shots at people. It really is. Um, both papers that I reviewed for really had a policy. Of not doing a lot of really negative reviews, and it had nothing to do with people would say, "Well, you didn't want to, you know, irritate the advertisers." It had nothing to do with that. It was more, you know, people who work for newspapers. I don't care what anybody says. We tend to be bleeding hearts, and I really think if a place now, like if somebody like Mr. Chow, if that had meal had been horrible, and frankly, when I went there, I didn't expect it to be great. And I wrote it, a bad review was. of Mr. Chow. Did you? Oh, <laughs> yeah. when I went, it was great. But um, but if they if it, they had been bad, I would have been happily happy to to do a bad review. But if it's some little mom and pop, and that's usually what it was, it was some little struggling mom and pop that didn't quite have their act together. They were trying, but they weren't trying to make a lot of money. They were just trying to survive, and they always felt like. And I agreed with this that you know, do we really want to ruin these people? You know, so yeah. so um, our the paper's former attorney used to always joke that I closed a restaurant down with a good review, which I actually did. Um, there was a place on Sunset Road, can't remember the name of it, but it was oh, it was amazing. The chef was from Switzerland, and he the prices were like so ridiculously low, and it was great. And I wrote a review, and he was so bu- and he was older. He was so busy that he ended up having to close, and I felt so bad. <laughs> 
Well, that's funny. That leads me to something that I always say. Like, I, I don't think I'd want to be the restaurant critic for the New York Times because what's the big deal? You glow about a place and then nobody that reads your article can actually get into it. Yeah, right? yeah, that's and true. That That's a little weird. Yeah. Like, I, I'm more interested in actually putting people in mm-hmm. seats, right? Yeah, and yeah. So I, I don't want to blow a place out that it becomes too huge. Right. Um, I think that there's always been something for me that – the amount – my comfort level – and we all write things we're not comfortable with, mm-hmm. so I don't always stick to this. But mm-hmm. my comfort level for writing a bad review is how much hype are they paying for, for yes. the good press, yes. right? Yes. And also – it also depends to me on um, if it's mean-spirited or not, what happened to me. Like I remember – somebody just reminded me of this. I think it was my daughter reminded me. There was a place called – I think Cozy Mills. It was in the Hughes Center years and years and years yeah, ago. Yeah, I remember that. Some place. Mexican – like a chain restaurant <clears> – <throat> And we had the worst experience there. <coughs> but it was a waiter who was just nasty and obnoxious and um, gave our food to another table, set it down in front of somebody, and then realized it and picked it up and brought it over and said, well, here it is. And I said, but you gave, gave it to those people. You know, well, what's wrong with that? You know, and he, and he was nasty. So I wrote a – I did write a really nasty review because it was like, dude <laughs> – do you not have a clue? Yeah, that's that's not cool. Um, I'm trying to think. I wrote a great review about a horrible experience at um, – to- was it Toby Keith that had the place? I love this bar and grill. Yeah, that was – yeah. And I was in there very early on and had a horrible experience. But I could tell that they were working out the kinks and they came over. They apologized. Okay, you know, yeah. They bought a round of drinks, whatever it is they do. Yeah, if they and have, it's not yeah. about the free drinks. It's no. about acknowledging that, that you, you know could, that right. you can get better. Exactly. You know? It's acknowledging that you screwed up. Yeah. Um. Well, we were just at the Mission Inn in Riverside a couple weeks ago, and we were sitting at the bar, and they were slammed because they have this big Christmas thing. And I was sitting there with my husband, and all of a sudden, at one point, the bartender brought a drink over and handed it to me. And I said, I'm sorry, I didn't order that. And he said, no, I know you didn't, but it's on the house because you've been sitting there so pleasantly, you know. (laughs) And I said, oh, that's so sweet. Thank you. That kind of thing goes so far. In, in that case, they didn't make a mistake, but they were they were really slammed. Yeah. And he felt like they were neglecting us, which we totally understood. But when they, yeah, when they acknowledged that, you know, we goofed, God, that makes so many points with me. It does. And because we all know that everybody has a bad day, right? Yes. But if you're yes. having a bad day and you recognize it right. and you're, you're – and I'm, I'm not saying you have to kiss my ass or you have to no. give me a lot of free stuff. No. But if you're apologetic, if, yeah. if I can tell that you know you can do better, yeah. then I'm going to come back and give you another try and I'm going to tell readers to come back and give you a try. If they say, look, we screwed up, you know, that, that to me is enough. That's just admitting that they, that they know they did something yeah. that wasn't the best. But – um, okay, so who who do you get the word, most hate mail from for a bad review? Have you ever had that experience? Oh, yeah. Um, and I miss the days when people actually had to write you hate mail. Like hate mail that, that if somebody yeah. goes and they get a piece of yep. paper and a pen and they yep. write it down and they yep. lick the envelope and yep. put a stamp on it. Oh, yeah. Um, that made me so happy when I would get I know, because of the effort that. it was involved. Um, no, I remember when I gave Martirano a bad review when that opened at the Rio because it was so pretentious. It was just ridiculous. And he, um, he, I think he, I can't remember what the form was, but he posted somewhere that I was a, a Holbeck critic. That's what he called me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and man. I was like, dude, I really don't care what you think. Well, then we all know there's a celebrity chef in this town. We won't mention any names who didn't like what I wrote about him. So called you because he wanted, had his people call you to dish some dirt on me. Said I could tell you about that Al Mancini. I've got stories about him. I don't remember that. No, I have to tell you off the air. <laughs> I don't was. remember that. Yeah, I remember. Um, 
I remember um, um, Andre Rochat complaining to me about John Curtis, but I don't remember anybody else, anybody <laughs> complaining about you. Wow. Okay. Um, no, there's, yeah, there were some, but we'll, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to drag that up because I don't want to get on people's bad side again. So um, you never had any chefs who, were you ever, were you ever told you couldn't come back into a restaurant again because of something you've No. Written? Never no. had any of that? Um, no, because if, if it was a bad experience and a bad review, I didn't want to go back anyway. So there yeah. was there was never that. That was never an issue. But um, no, that was really never. I would get, yeah, I would get nasty. You know, you know what you're talking about. And there were times, though, that I made an error and the chef would be like, okay, let me explain this to you. And they were really nice about it. And yeah. I learned something. Like, I yeah. remember the first time I covered a ramen place and I made the mistake of calling it tonkatsu and it's tonkotsu and the guy wrote to me and explained the difference and i was like thank you you know yeah. because i didn't know um it was one of the things that in my research i had somehow it slipped past me but um so it's yeah. kind of funny because we hear a lot of of shit from chefs in our line and and fair i mean look we criticize yeah. other people i'm always open to criticism and trust me i get a lot yeah but a lot of people say well you know how can you write restaurant reviews if you've never worked in a restaurant or if you've never been a chef or if you've yeah. never been in a kitchen to which i say like well being a journalist it's really like it, it's yeah it's easier for somebody who knows how to make deadlines, stick to word counts, write quality sentences and form paragraphs that make sense to learn a little bit about a topic and write about it right. than it is for somebody who's a genius on that topic right. to learn all those things that I just yes, said. Yes, very true. Very and true. I know a lot of people these days think that they can be bloggers, and they yeah. are. And there yeah. are some tremendous bloggers out there, but they never have to worry about word count. No. They never have to worry oh, about deadlines. No. They never have to worry about making sure that the art comes with the proper credits right. and you, you right. know who the photo credit is. And there's all this shit that goes on behind the scene. And I'm not claiming this excuse is poor writing. No. My writing still deserves to be judged as writing. But why aren't there more chefs writing? Because y'all couldn't make those deadlines. Yeah. Just because you can yeah. write a freaking Yelp review yeah. doesn't mean that you could do yeah. that shit, yeah. right? So, I mean, and that's just like somebody could be a great home chef and not be able to run a restaurant. Oh, yeah. You know? I could never <laughs> run a restaurant. Um, and, and, you know, I, I really do have a lot of respect for them. I mean, my God, my daughter wanted to go into the culinary field. And I said, you know, okay, so you work every night. You never have a holiday off. Your body gets, you know, beaten up and you grow old way before your time. It's always hot. You know, yes, it's a it's a wonderful job, but it really takes amazing dedication. I mean, it really does. And and so, I mean, I have utmost respect for them. And maybe that's why I, I haven't ever gotten a lot of blowback from chefs. I don't know, but I, I do have a lot of respect for them. I really do. I think it's a – I think it's a much more difficult – profession than most people realize it is and i think that um that the rise and you tell me what you think about this but i think the rise of the celebrity chef culture has in, in the same way people want to become chefs in the same way that i used to want to be a rock star when i was a kid yeah which is yeah. i didn't really want to learn how to play music right i just right. wanted to be a rock star. right right and right. you know a real, and you'll, that's a good analogy you'll see that yeah. on tv with even some of these competition shows where then they have to butcher a chicken and then they don't know how to do that yeah, right? but yeah. they want to be the top chef or whatever yeah, the, yeah, you know, the yeah. thing is the master chef but they they don't take the time to do that kind of stuff but yeah. but those who are good and i think all of the chefs that you and i respect which is most of the chef, you know, most of the yeah. chefs in this town. I, I have mad respect for these yeah. the successful ones. Those those are men and women who really take the time to learn and to yes. travel, yes. And to visit the farms, and to 
And it doesn't always mean going to the Culinary Institute of America um, or or whatever. I mean, that I'm not saying it's it's not an excellent school. It is an excellent school. But I remember, I think it was Tom Colicchio who told me that he was going to go there and had been accepted and everything and like had a, a stage like before he started or something at this restaurant, I think in Virginia, with these two CIA grads who couldn't make a hollandaise sauce without breaking it. And he was like, and Tom had worked, I think it was Tom, um, whoever it was said, you know, he had worked as a, in restaurants as a teenager and was like, seriously, you can't make a hollandaise without breaking it. So that, and I also heard, have heard stories about people from the CIA. Um, apparently Caesars, I don't know if they still do it. They used to have a process when you applied for a job there as a as a cook, they would lay out different kinds of lettuces, greens and things, and you had to identify them. Mm-hmm. And I remember somebody telling me one time that they had some CIA grads that didn't know, you know, romaine from iceberg or whatever, you know, they, and they were just shocked by that. There's an old story that I used to hear about Joel Robichon. Um, by the way, of all the people that I was glad who knew my name, yeah. well, Joel Robichon yeah. always wanted to get his picture taken with me and my stupid hair. It was like <laughs> one of my things like that. I that, can that imagine. made it all worthwhile. He was really – his... I had mad respect for him. I really did. Yeah. He was really something. But I, I used to – I read that he used to ask people just to make a basic egg when okay. they would come yeah. in. Now, yeah. I don't know if there's any truth to that, and maybe some of my chef friends out there who have, have worked for him can tell yeah. me. But that, that it really is the basics a yeah. lot of times. Yeah. You know, everybody wants to learn this molecular gastronomy right. or right. you know some right. weird fusion. Right. But it's the ability to do the basics. Exactly. Right, that, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I mean, a lot of times it's not even the educational; it's how much they spend in the time that they spend in the kitchen and who they spend it with. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we start talking about what's in the future for you, because our time is going by quickly okay. here, um, but I hope you're going to come back on and we'll do more of these oh, sure, in the future and sure. have you co-host and that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, that'd be great. But as you look back, all your time as sort of the, the paper of record covering the culinary scene in what has become one of the most important culinary cities in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. What if... What what are the the big takeaways about Las Vegas, about food, about dining in a tourist town and in the local neighborhoods here? Wow. Um, well, I think it doesn't. I've been glad to see more attention paid to the off strip restaurants because a lot of them are excellent, and a lot of those chefs used to work on the strip and yeah. just got tired of the politics or the whatever the corporate culture. And start, you know, right? Everybody wants to have their own place, so then they would have their own place. And I've really been glad to see those restaurants getting the recognition that they really deserve. Um, and you know, the celebrity chef thing—I don't know—I kind of, I still kind of have issues with it. I mean, there's one celebrity chef who you like much more than I do. <laughs> oh, he did call. He did call me one time. Now that I think about it, we had written a best of Las Vegas and. I referred to him as obnoxious and I had written it like months before because those things had a, a long pre-run and he called me and said, hi, this is so-and-so. And I was like, what? And he said, I can't believe you called me obnoxious and, and just bitched me out. <laughs> and I didn't even remember writing it. I'm not even positive I did write it. Somebody else might have, but because because we kind of did those things as a group. So after I hung up and I was just dumbfounded that this guy called me to bitch me out about this, that I actually Googled his name and obnoxious and got like 4,000 hits. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what I'm doing. My homework assignment today is. 
Uh, so you're sticking around Las Vegas? Yep. You're oh, yeah. Getting... We love it here. Yeah. 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 We love it here. Are, do you think you're going to do any writing on the side, or are you just done with that? I'm, no, I'm willing to. Um, I've talked to Scott Dickensheets, the features editor, about doing some things maybe for the magazine or something. And just the other day, I talked to Glenn Cook about maybe doing something every now and then. Um, I don't know that I'll be covering restaurants or dining or anything, but I think I'll be doing occasional. I don't know. I am open to writing um, or doing things for you know, the RJ or anybody, you know, anybody else. I mean, we'll have to see. Well, I'm hoping you'll write a little bit for my Neon Feast project that's I coming out. I plan to. So I do plan to. That would be exciting. Yep. Um, okay. Any farewell words? I mean, there's a great story with Scott Dickensheets, which was that in the print edition this weekend? I know that you just posted it this weekend. I didn't post it, but um, somebody did. I did. But I, I thought I had <laughs> seen it on yours Thanks. prior. Um, no, um, I don't know if it was in print or not. Okay. Scott just... Told me, told me in advance they wanted to do some kind of a farewell thing. And I was like, oh, because I do like to keep a low pro- profile. Mm-hmm. And then he said to me, oh, they want a Q&A. And I was like, they want a Q&A? That's weird. But um, I don't know if it was you. Somebody was just saying that they thought the Q&A worked really well. So Yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah. And I hope people go online. And, you know, I always encourage people to always subscribe to the Review Journal. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, if you don't want us having to worry – if you don't want writers having to worry about how many clicks every single story gets, then maybe subscribe to some papers. And, yes. Um, Yes, exactly. Yeah, do it that way so they exactly. don't have to count clicks. Exactly. Uh, anything else that you want to tell people as you as you head off into the next phase? Well, I have to t- I have to say, please continue to support independent restaurants because they are fighting a struggle, not just during and after and before and everything with COVID, but it's it's a day to day thing. I mean, they all, it's always a a really rough profession. And I have to say, I was gratified. I don't know if you saw it because you don't watch football. No. But um, there, there's been a commercial on the football games that um, Domino's. Oh, Domino's yeah, buying the gift yeah. cards. And yeah, I have seen that. I just thought that was the most wonderful thing. <laughs> yeah. and, and yes, and I, I've always been big on supporting local restaurants, but I have gotten to the point where that's, a, that's all I want to do is just local. Well, I have to say, and I said this on social media, but I'll say it again. Um, some of the most gratifying stories uh, that I've ever written were stories I shared bylines with you. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll grant you, after we wrote them for the second or third time, I got a little <laughs> bored of them because, you know, know, that's something I about know. newspapers. The story is good once. You oh, go back and write I again. know. COVID. But, but honestly, during COVID, I thought the ability that you and I had to go out – and this is me coming from, you know, trying to be Mr. Counterculture, always working at the little <laughs> alternative, alt-weeklies, whatever. And me being the conservative little old lady. Yeah. No, but <laughs> I think being at the paper of record, I was never more proud to work at the Review Journal because we were able to interview struggling restaurants. Yes, yes. And know that – and. I, I, I may not have agreed with what they said, but I know that what they said was landing in the governor's office because yes. we were writing it in the yes. Las Vegas Review yes. Journal. Yes. And that was very important to me that you and I together were able to put our you know yes. put our work into getting their voices heard by the powers. That I they. feel like we we certainly tried and I think we succeeded at helping. Yeah. The industry. I really do. Yeah. So that I want to thank you for uh, um, and thank you. Thank you for welcoming me to the RJ almost Absolutely. five years ago. Absolutely. Thank you for always being supportive of my work there and thank you for everything you've done for this town. And thank all you all this time. And hopefully we'll have you back sometime soon. That'd be great. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, 
you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. We are back at Moon and Ranch and ready to head into the news. Honestly, I'm still sort of um, going through a lot of press releases that came in over the holidays. I did make it over to Bally's for a um, media preview of the new Dave's Hot Chicken location. I know we've spoken about this place in the past when they opened on West Sahara. Turns out that one is a corporate operation. The one at Bally's is a franchise. I got a little bit of the backstory on the company from the franchisee. And um, his name, I'm sure I'm going to mangle this here. It's Steve Yazeji. He's also the man behind the Wahlburgers location over there in the Grand Bazaar shops. So I guess that's a whole thing of being a franchise guy. And um, I don't really know how that world works. I'm not going to say much about it. But he did share some backstory on Dave's Hot Chicken. So here's all you need to know. Dave's Hot Chicken was started by uh, four very good friends in Hollywood, California a couple years ago. And uh, they started a parking lot, just them four, a couple of fryers. And uh, here we are today with uh, their first Las Vegas trip store. Uh, great company, great people. Uh, they've sold the rights to about 500 stores now. So they went from a parking lot to 500 stores. So they must be doing something right, right? I actually had my first taste. Have you guys done Dave's either over on Sahara or this new spot? I have not, but I've had other hot chickens. And, and while it is nice, I, I don't see the uh, the religious-like cult following of uh, deep-frying a chicken breast and dunking it in a hot sauce and calling it uh, something wonderful. It's yeah. quite the American thing, like, of just, like, blowing out your taste buds to the point where you yeah. can't taste anything else and then proving that you're man enough like, to eat it. I think yeah. it depends on what level you get it, though. I mean, you don't have to go to the, to the super hot level. You know, I remember my first hot chicken experience, and it wasn't that long ago. You know, I was, forget, I was traveling. It was in Texas, and you know, I had to have a lunch before I got on the, the plane because there was a gap between Anyway, it doesn't matter. I just went to Hattie Beast for lunch. Something brought me there. It was fantastic. It was terrific. I really, really, really loved it. Fell in love with the hot chicken, the whole concept, the way it was. And there's a lot more momentum going on. Dave's I haven't tried yet, but I'm telling you, 500 locations? Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's definitely the trend. People are jumping on it. And I, I love it whenever a regional cuisine starts catching on. You know, I was down in Nashville shooting a TV show a decade ago, and we were eating hot chicken there. And that was sort of the, you know, the, the local... Thing. And, you know, we were trying to bring that to the attention of the world at the time. Mm -hmm. Well, we didn't do that for various reasons, <laughs> but um, the world has caught on to hot chicken. And I'm all for it if people like it, if you like things spicy. I got to say right off the bat, I'm a pussy. I am like, they're, they're, I... <laughs> I have very, my, my taste buds are overpowered by heat really easily. And then I can't taste anything else for the rest of the day. So at Dave's, they have like seven levels. One is plain, like literally no spice. So I got three, level three out of their seven, which they call mild. And for me, it was a little painful, but I could still taste things. So yeah, the that's three, the thing. I liked that, right, at the three. Um, so that's that's where I am. I don't think I should be an expert. Nobody should take my opinion on whether it's good hot chicken, not bad hot chicken. Weird thing was, first, I was impressed with the portion sizes because I saw the prices, and it was like maybe $14 for a value meal. or so. I don't know. I don't, don't quote me on that. But um, it, it seemed a little high. But then I saw what they gave you. You could either get two sliders or, or two sliders, two um, – 
two tenders or a slider and a tender and then with fries and and drinks yeah. and all that shit. So I got the slider and the tender and they were big. I mean they were and they were almost the same fucking thing. I've got to be honest with you, <laughs> except that like one was a big piece of boneless chicken that they called a slider on a bun. And it wasn't really a slider size yeah. sandwich. It was right. a sandwich. And then the other one, which was the tender, was pretty much the exact same piece of boneless chicken on a piece of Wonder Bread, right? <laughs> and then they put cheese sauce on them, which was good, and it was solid, and it was a yeah. good-sized portion. But, um, you know, was I blown away by it? No. Would I go to the Strip to get it? Absolutely not. But if I was in that neighborhood on yeah. West Sahara, then I certainly wouldn't tell people not to eat there i think it's it's solid you give it a shot if you're more into into um hot food than i am please let me know what you think of the seven which is the reaper which i believe you have to sign a waiver oh, to yeah. try because that's what america needs <laughs> throat closes up stunt food yeah stunt food so anyway man it's cool i'm happy. good luck to them i wish them all the best and um yeah they're over there at the grand bazaar shops now that's their second vegas location i was going to try to find some cool game show music but i didn't because you know rights and things like that but yeah. it's time for a, a food news quiz oh, these boy. two food authorities uh, across Across the table for me. Okay. Right. Yes, I have uh, not seen any answers. Uh, quiz question. program. This is uh, the website called Stacker. Recently listed more than two dozen items around uh, that are foods uh, around the world that are illegal in the United States of America. All right. So I picked out uh, a, a few of these, and I will reveal uh, what they are, and you guys tell me why they're illegal. Okay. okay. And the first one's going to be uh, fairly easy. Uh, if I get the pronunciation right here, Epoussa, Mondor, Brie, Camembert from France, raw milk from anywhere. What's the deal, panel? Because it's not pasteurized. You can't sell, yeah, unpasteurized products you can't sell in America. You can't raw milk, yeah. Yeah. It's a little weird. You can make your own. I've known chefs who sure. will buy their own goats, and then they can make their own raw goat milk cheeses. Yeah. But um, not you can't sell it commercially. No. All right, number two is slightly related. It is also a cheese. Kazu Marzu cheese from Italy. It has live worms in it. Bung. Maggots. Well, yeah. Maggots, yeah, maggots. Yeah. yeah. Eat the maggots. All right, you're bad in the thumb. No, but thanks. can you, can you buy list. maggots? here like that's a little weird i don't know why you can't buy maggots you get them dried okay yeah dried maggots different uh haggis and black pudding mm, what about it it's got to be the awful probably it's, there's lungs or spleen or something in it yeah it's oats and have. oats and guts just jammed into a big old yeah. body part and boiled and i mean it's certain... an excuse to drink more scotch is well yeah yeah because you need the scotch yeah. to uh, but... get, get by that you were close uh the usda rules that livestock lungs shall not be saved for use as human food. Right. So the casing and the haggis yeah. and the chopped up lungs yep. in the black pudding. You know, people get like get pissed about these regulations, but I've got to say, man, like America, we are such a factory farm, factory food country that I, I, don't, I don't think we take enough care to keep most of our food safe to begin with. If something is a, inherently a more dangerous product, yeah. here's the deal. I would eat anything Rick Moonen cooked for me of yeah. any type of food because I know you know where it comes from. You know the importer. You know who yeah. got it off the plane. You know that it's being treated <laughs> I'm well. I'm a freak. Yeah. But, and your kitchen's probably clean. Yeah. But when <laughs> it comes to people that are you know paying minimum wage employees to and and they're, they're importing it and they're trying to save, you know, three three cents on a supersize order. No, yeah. like don't let them play around with fucking lungs and things that are gonna kill me. So, All right. No. All right. Yeah. What's the next question? We're two right. for two. Al. This is uh, this is really easy. 
beluga caviar, queen cock, sea turtles, redfish, and on land, bush meat and swan. Well, the, most of the I'm the godfather of sustainability, so I'm not answering that. This, Al has is, this is a slow pitch softball for you, Rick. Most of those are going to sound endangered, but as far as bush meat, I think it's because it's a monkey and it's too close to human, right? And we get our own version of mad cow if we um, start eating. Our sort stuff. of all of the above. Bush meat, a lot of those are endangered as well. Yeah. I mean, we're talking tigers and things like that. Good reason. I thought bush meat was specifically primate. No, no it's, uh, it's not on my list of things. Anything from the bush. Oh, anything Africa. from the bush. Yeah. Bush. bush in the bush. Uh, Ooh, and uh, finally, uh, literally and figuratively, aki, pufferfish, sassafras oil. Because they're poisonous and they yeah. can kill you unless they're prepared properly. And once again, I go back to the idea that if, if Rick Moonen wants to prepare me pufferfish, I will eat it and I get as <laughs> high as a cut. No, no you try it. No, yeah. you try it. <laughs> as, as Homer Simpson said in one of the first seasons of, uh, of The Simpsons, fugu me. Yeah. Ugu. But no, I'm not. I, I'm fine with the fact that the average guy in the average corner sushi place is not trying to make that. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah. To, I thought you were going to ask a question, but there's a little nut that uh, that tastes like vanilla. There was a, yeah, that was on it. the list, and I it didn't make the cut for time. Do you remember what it's called? Because that's what I was. I was waiting for you to say it. No, I don't. It's, but it's, I'll, it's I'll send you the here, link because it has curcumin in it. It's a, yeah, and then curcumin is a, a little black. blood thinner. Yeah, uh, coumadin is also the. It's from the yeah. same thing. Blah blah blah. Mm. Crazy stuff, you know. Not but, good. What's illi- it's delicious. That's I all see. I'm say. I'm you tell it. people it's illegal, they're going to think it's more delicious. Yeah, when you say like, food, you could die for. That's yeah, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, these will not kill you. But getting to our weekly edibles, cannabis edibles review. The, we've got these um, sweet stone green apple. Man, tell me what you think of this. I got this over at Zenleaf. It's from Encore Edibles. Ten pieces. They're supposed to be green apple flavored. They are. They all come individually wrapped inside a little twist-off container. So I do like the fact that they won't melt together in your car, and you can save them and all that shit. But um, it's hard. It's not. It's, it's not this a little hard, it's a hard candy, candy right? Thing, uh, right? Suck it like it looks a lot. Like a jujube. I mean, it I really know. looks like somebody made it in their kids. No, like, that, look, I yours could, is you, a I could use hexagon. it as a tooth. I could replace deformed. a tooth with that. You know. Huh. Yeah. Because you're gonna have lose a tooth if you chomp into that. I mean, this seriously looks like right. stone were making this or else some yeah. kids in like you know their art class what's well, um, a lozenge and then yeah it, it, is. It's it, it tastes okay problem i had with the one that i had the other night first of all you can't is that a five or you ten you can't microdose that's 10 milligrams okay. right so yeah. um can't microdose which is why i'm probably not going to finish this one because it's early in the day yeah mm. but as you start chewing on these they get stuck in your teeth. Something. Oh well, don't chew oh, on yeah. them. No, yeah. so no. you got to You definitely have to um to just suck on them, not not chew on them. And yeah, they're. Do you know what? Okay, I'll be honest with you. When it comes to edibles, I don't want it to last a long, long time in my mouth. You know, because yeah, you, even for the short period of time that we just had it in our mouth, you still have that. That, that flavor you know that yeah that weed flavor yeah but there's not a lot of weed flavor in this one no i have you been feel told it. and i don't know if there's any truth to this it might be an urban myth if anybody's listening but that when you're doing like a lozenge or something like that because you're absorbing some of the thc or the cbd whatever through your um through, through the mucous membranes yeah. right that it's actually going straight into your bloodstream rather than going through your liver and being metabolized first i don't know so you might get a slightly different high that's why smoking is a different high than yeah. edibles as a general straight rule, to the blood they're met- metabolized so mm-hmm. i have not noticed anything's better worse different in the high that i get but you know that's not what i'm really here to talk about we're here to talk about the 
the product. And honestly, this looks like something that was made in a kid's kindergarten class. I, I just <laughs> like a really stoned kindergarten teacher decided to have arts and crafts. I don't know. Um, not not totally in love with this one. Mm, I agree. Yeah. Not yeah. my favorite. Um, and that, I believe, is it for this episode of Food and Loathing. Thanks to our guest, the now-retired Review Journal writer Heidi Napranella. I'm kind of excited. I mean, I, I feel bad for the town, Heidi, not being here to write anymore. I hope mm. they get another good food writer at the RJ, but um, I'm bringing her on board to write on my new project, East, which we're going to be talking about soon. Who's going to fill the void? I don't know. I do. You want a job, Rick? No. You want to go over and write for the RJ? All those things that you said that I did poorly, you can see how well you do. Within the uh, I never sell you the beast. Uh, no, I always suck. I'd, up. I'd, I'd apply, except I'd probably be forced to use the word unctuous sometime, and I refuse. You'd have to say cocktail program. I Don't say yummy. Yummy's bad word. But anyway, so Heidi will be doing a little writing, hopefully, for my project, The Neon Feast. We'll have more to talk to you about that within the next week or two. Please tell a friend about food and loathing and say nice things about us, especially on Apple Podcasts. But either way, we do want your feedback, your likes, your retweets. Find everything you need to know about how to do all that at Al's website, which is theneonmohawk.com. Or just reach us direct with a whole other way to get there, and that's email. Electronic mail, as it's known. Info at foodandloathing.vegas. With producer Rich Johnson and Rick Moonen, I'm Al Mancini. Stay hungry. Stay hungry.